All right. We'll get started this morning. We are working our way through um, the Orthodox Catechism, which is just the Baptist version of the Heidelberg. And this morning, we are going to be covering questions 31 through 33. So, uh, as, as has been the habit, so when we think of um, the divisions of the catechism, there's like, you know, the, uh, uh, the skeletal system, if you will. What are like the three major components, if you will, right, of, of, of the structure? So we have man's what? Misery, man's redemption, and then man's thankfulness, right? Yeah, or uh, if, you want, if, you, if you like alliteration, right? Guilt, grace, gratitude, right? We can, we can do the three Gs. So this morning, so last week, Arnie um, continued our discussion as we were thinking through God the Son, Right, So uh, we, we ended last week thinking about what does it mean for Jesus to be called the Christ, which is the anointed one. And it was a comparison when we think about how in the Old Testament, the Old Testament office of king, of priest, and of prophet were all uh, consecrated and started their ministry with an anointing or a pouring of oil. But the Lord Jesus, the one who was typified with these shadowy things of the Old Testament, was the one who was anointed with uh, the greater oil, if you will, right? Uh, the, the oil of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we pick up this morning, the, uh, the catechism. We're going to explore, well, then what does that mean for a Christian who is also said to be anointed, right? Or even the name Christian seems to give that very indication, right? Because Christ is the transliteration of the you know, the, the Hebrew word Messiah, which means to pour, right? The anointed one, the one who's poured and consecrated. So, so let's read question 31, and we'll answer it, and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll hop in. So question 31, but why are you called a Christian? Answer, because through faith, I am a member of Jesus Christ and partaker of his anointing, that both I may confess his name and present unto him a living sacrifice of thankfulness, and also may in this life fight against sin and Satan with a free and good conscience, and afterwards enjoy an everlasting kingdom with Christ. Now, I really do like how this answer weaves in several biblical pictures and categories. So the term Christian, does anyone remember, when was the term first used in the Bible? Okay, in Antioch, right, in the book of Acts. And do you remember, how was it used? Like, uh, was it used favorably or unfavorably? Yeah, it was derogatory, right? And it, it notes that the, the, there, there's this uh, 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 persecution and resistance, right? And then in, in Acts 11, it says, and they were first called Christians in Antioch. But it was a term of, yeah, like you said, derogatory, derision. It was like... Um, uh, this, uh, 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 like, you're, 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 you're tearing them down by using this, this phrase. But why is that? Uh, and, and I'll ask this as a, not as a rhetorical question, but a question from looking for input. Why do you think that uh, these unbelievers would call these disciples Christians? Like, why do you think that would be the term that they would use to describe them? 
I know it's a why question and it's early, so take some juices. But why? Why do you think that would be? Because they were following the teachings of Christ. And they saw them giving themselves, sacrificing themselves to follow the way of this Christ. Yes. That's why they call them Christ followers. Yes, yes. Yeah, there, there's, this, there's this connection that they have with Christ. Like you said, they're, they're, they're praying in his name. They gather in his name. Um, you, you look at how um, they, they were uh, treated. They were considered to be a part of his family. They called each other brothers and sisters, right? There's all these things where it shows this connection that they have with Christ, that they were so closely connected with Christ that this term gets used. Now, the, the question of our, of our catechism then says, uh, but why are you called a Christian? And it gives two major reasons, right? Two, two theological reasons, right? And the first one is our union with Christ, right? Where it says, because through faith, I am a member of Jesus Christ. So that's a way that we describe our union with Christ. And then secondly, we share in his anointing of the Holy Spirit. So building on this, just as the Christ fulfilled the office of prophet, priest, and king... So we also are anointed and share in Christ's office of prophet, priest, and king. And this is really from the, application, from the standpoint of application, not from the you know, standpoint of, of mediator. And there's a, a little diagram on your notes. I do admit it's grayscale and it's small. So some of the font got lost, but we'll walk through it. Um, right? But, but, but this idea right, is tied together in the scripture. We see this in 1 John 2. We'll, we'll cover that in just a minute. Now, so we thought about this, I can't remember if it was last time or, or two times ago, this idea of union with Christ, right? This is, this is uh, you know, uh, I don't know if I can say like the backbone of the New Testament, right? Because then like everything becomes the backbone. But like one of the major backbones of the New Testament, right? This idea of union with Christ. What are some of the biblical pictures or symbols that the New Testament uses to describe our union with Christ or being a member of Christ. What, what, are, what are some of the biblical pictures or symbols that are used? George? Okay, baptism is a picture. Absolutely, right? We died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Yep, very good. What else? A body. Yes, yes. Um, like Christ is the head and we are the body, right? And so... Uh, you know, it, it's not living if the head is disconnected from the body, right? There, there, right? There's a connection. Absolutely. Yeah. What else? Lord's Supper. Yes. Okay. Help me with the Lord's Supper. Just that we're remembering Him. Uh, yes. While we eat, while we drink. Yes. And there's even a sense spiritually in which we commune with Him through the Lord's Supper, right? The, the Spirit uses these things to draw us close to Him. Yep. What else? Vine. Yes. 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 Right. There's this idea of that we are connected, right? Just like Israel was supposed to be that with God in the Old Testament. But now that's fulfilled with the true Israelite. Right. And then those connected with him. Right. Yes. And another way to describe it. Very good. The Bible says we are a royal priesthood. Yes. Yes. 
Yes, yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's, that's, that's super helpful. So I think we're picking up, right? We're trying to think through what are these biblical metaphors, right? That, uh, that try to help, help, help cover this. And so, now how, how do we become united to Christ? We'll become united to Christ by faith and by faith alone. And that's how we become his. And by faith, we also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, we share in the Holy Spirit's anointing. Now, let's go ahead and let's look at some of these texts together on, on your notes. So, um, can I have someone read uh, 1 Corinthians 6.15? Let me see a show of hands. There we go. We're getting warmed up and going. So, Anna, all right. And then, can I get, uh, Des, can you get 1 John 2.27 then? Yes. All right. Go ahead, Anna, and then uh, Des. 1 Excellent. All right, Des. In 1 John 2, 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. You have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Yes. Yeah. And I, I've taken the liberty to go ahead and do the uh, highlighting and underlining for you, so you're welcome, uh, just in case, you know, like to help make the connections. Um, so we see this idea of anointing, right? And, it's, and, it, and it's, it's this concept that's tied back to Christ and his anointing, right? His anointing with the Spirit. Even in 1 John 2.20, so right if you're in 1 John 2.27, you go back a little bit. It says that we have received our anointing from the Holy One. Now, who is the Holy One, right, in 1 John 2.20? Well, over and over again in the New Testament, the Holy One is Jesus Christ, right? The Holy One um, of God is the Lord Jesus. In John 6, 69, the disciples respond, right? Jesus is uh, looking at the, 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 the 5,000 that, that, you know, had their bellies filled and walked away. And he looks at them and he's like, well, wh- what are you going to do, right? What, what is it that you believe, right? And they respond, the disciples respond, they say, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, right? So then what's this relationship? Well, it's a relationship, the way in which the Apostle John describes in the upper room discourse regarding the Holy Spirit, that Christ anoints us through the giving of the Holy Spirit. If you remember that in, in, um, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, how Christ promised to send the Spirit as our helper, right? Jesus said, it is better that I go away that I might send to you the helper or the paraclete, the one who will come alongside you, right? The one who will be another Christ to you because how, how, how does this work? Because it is the spirit of Christ, according to Romans 8, who dwells in us. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul will go so far to say that it is Christ who is dwelling in us, right? Not Christ according to his human nature, but Christ who in full possession of the spirit dwells through the Spirit in us. Right? So in the same way in 1 Corinthians 6, we see this idea of being a member of Christ. And then in 1 John 2, this idea of anointing. So as members of Christ, uh, we are united with Him. We also share in His his anointing and share in partaking of the Holy Spirit. Now, so then I rhetorically ask, 
what are the practical applications of this, right? And really, I think it's helpful here how they then, uh, as, as Arnie uh, has said, right, the PPK, right? Prophet, priest, and king. Yeah, so PPK, just remember that. It's the, the, the shorthand. You'll hear it from Arnie again, I'm sure. Uh, it's, uh, it can be our cool, you know, inside lingo if you want. So, but, but he, he rightfully, the, or the catechism rightfully goes here, right, to then explore, well, then in what ways in this, in what ways that Christ showed this way as, as in, in his offices of prophet, priest, and king? So in what ways do we have applications of that by sharing in his anointing and by partaking and being a, a, a member united to him? And, and I'll, I will say, so Arnie made a mention of this. So lessons 16 and 17 from the study we did last year really go more in depth. So we're going to hit this pretty quick. But lessons 16 and 17 that are on the church website really try to help explore more the application of what it means for us to be prophet, priests, and kings in Christ. So turn, turn to me to your, um, to your handout. So I know it's on the bottom part under applications. Then we got some scripture verses. So this is pulled from uh, Ben Glad's book, From Adam and Israel to the Church, which he adapted from Vern Poitras's uh, uh, journal article on spiritual gifts. So really there's, and I, only spend, I only want to spend about 30 seconds here just to get the, get the basic gist. So in the ultimate sense, Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the Spirit anointing the Messiah, right? And then with our union with him, right, we, we all partake, but we do so at various levels, right, or in, in various degrees. So, for example, the apostles display to a greater degree the aspect of prophet, priest, and king in ways that believers don't, right? So there's a sense in which, in a similar way, how Christ spoke as a prophet and his words were binding. So in a similar way, when the apostles speak and it becomes inscripturated in the Bible, they speak with the same authority of Christ, right? Now, when believers speak the word of God to each other, which is prophetic in a sense, does it have that same authority? No, it does not, right? So, so that, that, that's the whole idea here where we have four levels. You have the Messiah, Jesus, right? The authority that, that, that he has in his roles, prophet, priest, and king. Then the apostles, which are different than regular believers, but they are also different from pastors. Pastors or elders do not have the same authority as, apostle, as apostles, but they also have authority that's different than believers, right? And we see that in these three ways um, and again, I apologize because it's super gray and uh, in color, it's a little easier to see, but here, here we are. If, if you really want to see it, you can just Google it and you can get Vern Poitras' article online. All right. So, so let's quickly, I do want to just hit, so on the PPK, the prophet, priest, and king with each of those roles. Um, we'll hit this pretty quick. So um, who can get Matthew 10? Who can get that uh, chapter and verse? All right, we get Brian, and then Mia, can you get Ephesians 4.15? Who can get Romans 12, verse 1? All right, George. Uh, uh, Hebrews 13.15. Anthony. Pierre, you can get uh, 1 Peter 2.5, and then who can get Romans 6, 12 through 13? All right, Crystal. All right, go ahead. Matthew 10.32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into 
13, 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 12, and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, but make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. All right, excellent. And so we see these verses and their implications, right, or, or, or appropriate applications of this idea for each believer. There's a sense in which by sharing in Christ's anointing that there is application or implication for us. So with Matthew 10... And with Ephesians 4, right, while, while there certainly is application here to, to pastors or gospel ministers, our focus is on believers. And each believer is called to speak the truth in love to one another and to confess Christ before men, right? And maybe you've heard this paradigm for ministry, right? That ministry is uh, uh, upward, outward, and inward, right? So upward, it's vertical, right? So we, we think of worship. Right? And then we think of on the horizontal level, you have, you have two aspects. You have the outward sense right, with evangelism, confessing Christ before men in that sense. And then um, there's also this internal, right? the uh, you know, body life, the one another's. Right? And that's what Ephesians 4 is picking up on. That we have this prophetic role, right? not only with unbelievers, but even with believers in the church. Right? Where we speak the truth in love to one another. That we, uh, um, that, that we share in this together. Um, right, and, and we could even think in regards to application, we can think of how there are, is a prophetic sense for believers in the church with one another, right? We kind of talked about that. We can think of this prophetic sense in the home, right? We can think of this prophetic sense even in, in the workplace or with our neighbors, right? So there's, there's different ways in which we can think through um, how this would apply. But then secondly, so we think about the prophetic aspect, now we think of the priestly aspect, so this idea of presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, offering up the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Right? And we see this in, in 1 Peter 2, right? this idea of the spiritual house, that all Christians are priests who are a part of God's temple, right? The church, the place of his special presence, the place of Christ's dwelling by the Spirit. And there's a couple of aspects here, right? So when we think about worship or this spiritual service, right? There, 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 there's two thrusts that we get from the scripture. And one is the corporate gathering of God's people, right? It, it is, there's a different sense of worship, right? Or our priestly function when we gather together as God's people, right? Where we sing the word together, where we see the word and partake in baptism in the Lord's Supper or um, uh, with the preaching of the word and the reading of the word and, and things of that nature, right? But then there, that, that's different than like in Romans 12, 1, which is all of life is your reasonable Christian service, right? Romans 12, 1, right? That therefore based on the mercies of God, everything from Romans 1 to Romans 11. And then thirdly, right? So we see this idea of this prophetic aspect, and then this priestly aspect of 
uh, the sacrifice of praise and our spiritual service, our priestly service, right? Then thirdly, this aspect of royalty or of, of, of being a king, right? This idea of fighting against sin and Satan with a free and good conscience and then enjoying Christ's everlasting kingdom afterward. And when we think about this, right, we understand that fighting against sin and Satan happens by faith in Christ and through the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, right? We do not engage um, uh, in, in, in carnal weapons, right, like the scripture says, right? Our, 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 our weapons are not that of flesh and blood, right? But it is of power through the Spirit. This is the work that God does in us and works through us and what it demonstrates or shows is Jesus' kingly rule over us. Now, look with me um, at, at Romans 6 in verses 12 through 13. Because there's a royal term that is used here, and, and I, I want to pick up on that. So when you look at Romans 6 in verse 12, where it says, Let not sin, therefore, what? Reign, right? Reigning is appropriate for royalty, right? But then notice what it's associated with, that it is associated with obedience and to whom we present ourselves. So how do we show this kingly aspect of our anointing with the Spirit from Christ? Well, we show that by submitting to the reign of King Jesus over us, right? So the, the, the kingdom of Christ is not set up in a physical sense on this earth right now. But the kingdom of Christ, Christ is ruling and reigning, how? Over his people in the church, right? There's this, there, there's this aspect that as we believe and enter the kingdom of God, we are now a, a part of God's saving rule in Christ. And so then how do we reflect that King Jesus is king and that we share in this role with him? Well, we do it by not obeying sin and its lusts, right? But, but, but instead, making war, right? War is the domain and territory of kings, right? Who goes to war? A king and his people, right? And so we, sharing in Christ, are to make War, not with others, but against our sin, right? So that we can present ourselves to Christ. So, so it is this aspect of fighting against sin and the devil, right? And one day, when Christ brings new creation to its fullest form on that day of resurrection, we will get to experience it in all of His glory. And like it says in 2 Timothy 2.12, right? If we endure, we will also reign with him. Right? That, that's a part of the hope that we have is that on that final day, that what we do now, reigning with Christ, will then get to be in its final and fullest form. And that's the thing. Christ will ensure that all those that the Father has given him, all that he mediates for, and all that the Spirit anoints, and indwells, share in this calling as prophet, priest, and king. 
And we share in these offices, not perfectly, we are not Christ, we are not the mediator, but we do so as forgiven sinners, being transformed by God's grace, knowing Jesus the King is in complete control and will sustain us by His Word and by His Spirit. All right, so any questions with the infamous PPK before we then go on to thinking about God the Son, specifically as God's only Son? Any questions or thoughts? All right, let's talk. Yeah, go for it. Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, totally. There, there, there's that aspect um, of, of priestly service, right? The priest um, that, that Jesus, as the ultimate high priest, died for us, made the sacrifice for us, and then also intercedes on our behalf. So we also share in that, right? Interceding for others. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's even a priestly aspect of um, in, in Romans 15, where Paul talks about his his priestly service. But it's, it's missions, right? There's this idea of what that means for the unbelieving world with us being priests in him. Um, yeah, George. And also, yeah, on, there we go. On the the king, obviously we just assume that PGK from Christ. Yes. And exclusively. Yes. But I think there is a principle of union with Christ and partaking of the office. Yes. Yes. Because uh, in Psalm 2, it talks about Christ as ruling over the wild iron. Yes. 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 Yeah, exactly. You, you see the scripture making, right, connecting it that way. Yeah, and I think it's super powerful. Yeah, when we understand our roles from that perspective. Yeah. All right, great. So let's, let's hop in now. So now, again, so we are working through um, uh, God the Son, right? And who is he? He's Jesus Christ. So we've covered Jesus. Now we've covered Christ. And now we're going to think about his only son. So we're going to think about sonship. And then we're going to think about our Lord, right? So we're going to work on those next two from a question answer standpoint. Who'd be willing to read question 32, uh, question and answer for me? All right, Crystal. Question. For what cause is Christ called by the only begotten Son of God, and we are also the sons of God? Answer. Because Christ alone is the eternal and natural Son of the eternal Father, and we are but sons adopted of the Father by grace for his sake. All right, awesome. So, picking up on these correlations, the Catechism helpfully gets us thinking about sonship. Right? And so we, we, we've thought through this idea of Christ and then Christian, right, and the correlation. And now we're thinking about sons, right, the son, and then many sons, right? Okay, then what's the relationship between these two? Um, and so um, you have to forgive me if, it's a, 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 if you're not a chart person, but I tend to gravitate this way. Because <laughs> it, help, it helps me to picture it, right, where it's just like it's easier to see it, right? So... The scripture talks about the children of God or the, or the sons of God, right? But then it also talks about the son of God. And so uh, the catechism, I think, helpfully picks up on, on, these, on these, the, the, the vein and the pulse from the scripture, right? So we contrast the son of God is eternal, right? He's been the son from all eternity, 
But we become a son or daughter of God, a child of God, temporal, in time. There's, there's, a, there's a point of transition, if you will, right? We were under God's wrath. We are no longer under wrath, right? And then with, with the son of God, he's the natural son, right? But with us, it's not natural, right? It has to be adopt, uh, through adoption, right? And that adoption by grace. So let's look at a couple of these texts. Um, let's look at, um, let, let's start with John 3.16. So a very familiar one. Um, you can either read it or quote it. There we go. All right, awesome. And, and it's interesting. So there, some of the newer translations, they, they'll, they'll just put um, his only son. But if you look at some of the, the older translations, like the King James or the New King James, yep, yep, I saw it, Rich. <laughs> you know, yep, um, right? Or, or, the, uh, or the NASB, right? I think they capture, and, and, and I think they correctly capture the idea of the word here for, for monogenes. Uh, it's this idea that it's not simply his only son, but, but more correctly saying his only begotten son. Um, uh, the, the Son of God is the eternally begotten one from the Father, right? And like we said, this is natural, not adoptive. And the Son didn't become the Son at some point in time. It's not temporal, but it is eternal. He is the eternally begotten Son of God, right? The Son of the Father from all eternity, right? Or, or as the uh, Nicene uh, Creed captures in the phrase, begotten, not made, right? So this idea, so we're, we're contrasting the Son, and now we're going to think through Right, like in Hebrews 2, bringing many sons to glory, right? This idea of us being the children of God. So in contrast, as fallen sinners in Adam, we are not God's natural sons. Adam lost his covenant inheritance as son when he sinned in the garden, right? As, as, as federal head and Eve under him. When Jesus was speaking with the Pharisees, they were saying that he was born of sexual immorality, but they had Abraham and even God as their father. If you remember in John, John 8, right? This diatribe where they're going back and forth. And then listen to what Jesus says. He responds back to them, right? It's, like, it's kind of like this, like, it's, it's, it's escalating, right? It's going like higher and higher, right? And then at the end, if you remember correctly, then they go to stone him, right? And he just passes through them, right? But in John 8, 44, he says to them, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And in verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So when Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and then also says, that you are not of God. So according to Jesus, that, that, that is to be equated as the same thing or to describe the same people, right? Or maybe different perspectives describing the same people, the same state. And that's why Paul in Ephesians 2, in verse 1, in verse 3, where he says that, that we were dead in trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And like you guys know, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, right? So again, it is helpfully showing the antithesis, right? And, and, and providing the backdrop for our being legal heirs with Christ, right? Being adopted by God the Father 
in Christ. And so when we think about being children of God, God legally making us heirs with Christ, partakers who share in his inheritance, right, based on our union with him, it's not something of our own doing. And we're going to see this, as we've seen multiple times in John chapter 1. This is not something that we initiate. This is something that God does, that God brings us in. God, the same God that we've described as the one who has set up all these things and is making them happen and, and will bring us to glory. This same God is the one who adopts us and brings us in. It's specifically by God being gracious to us, like, like, like it said in the catechism. Right? The Father ordained from all eternity that the eternally begotten Son would be the Redeemer of sinners and that the Father and the Son would send the Spirit to bring sinners back to God and to become children of God. Right? And, and in order for this to happen, it means that the man, that, that, the, that the Son of God had to take on flesh, live, die, rise, right? and then ascend even to heaven, right? And, and all of that is so that we can become sons in him. So let's, let's look at that text uh, that I was referring to. Or we'll read, um, well, let's read both. So who can get uh, John 1, 12 through 13? And then who can get Galatians 4? You got John 1, Des? All right. All right, Mike. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Galatians 4 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption All right. I think this is helpful here. And we've hit on John 1, 12 through 13, so I don't want to spend too much time. But notice the phrase. He gave the what? He gave the right. Right? It doesn't simply say that they became children of God. He, but that he gave them the right to be children of God, right? You see this idea of adoption, the right. It is a legal term. And then even in Galatians 4, right? This idea that Christ redeemed us, but then there's this greater purpose, right? And J.F. Packer kind of picks up on this unknowing God, right? That this idea of, uh, of, of adoption is almost like, you know, the, the quintessential, the... The, 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 the biggest and brightest jewel on, on the crown, right? This idea of adoption, right? So that we would receive adoptions as sons. Joel Beakey helpfully states here, Jeremiah Burroughs stated it even more strongly by quoting Luther's comment, that if we did but know that this privilege of adoption were all the riches of all the kingdoms in the world would be but as filthy dung to us. And then who'd be willing to read the uh, Wilhelmus Abrakel quote from Being a Child? Who'd be willing to read that for us? Yeah, Rich? From being a child of the devil to becoming a child of God. From being a child of wrath to becoming the object of God's favor. From being a child of condemnation to becoming an heir of all the promises and the center of all blessings. Isn't that amazing? Right? 
like, like uh, 2 Corinthians says, that all the promises of God in him, in Jesus, are yes and amen. All of them. How? Because we are sons by legal adoption and through our union with Christ, right? And I love the way that it, that, that it captures this. And to be exalted from the greatest misery to the highest felicity, right? That just really helps capture the chasm. All right, so uh, if you will, you know, put a hand over uh, the, the next paragraph, all right? This is, not, this is not a quiz or a test, but just to get us thinking, I want to ask you the question, <clears throat> what are some benefits or even applications of our adoptions, or of our adoption as sons or daughters in Christ? So what are some of these applications or implications by us being adopted in Christ, being sons in the Son? Crystal. Justification. Okay. Yeah, justification because we share with Christ in his justification. Yep. Yeah, freedom. Yeah, um, you, you, you are a son, right? Yeah, the, um, what does Jesus say, right? But, 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 the, but to the son, he's free, right? Uh, George? Yes, yes. It, it goes back to the anointing, right? In the same way that the Holy Spirit was empowering Christ in his ministry, so we also partake as sons with the Spirit empowering us. Yeah, that we have the Spirit of Christ. Yes. Yes. Now we have the, the title of son. We are inheritors or partakers. Yes. We are literal heirs, right? And what is it that we are an heir to? Everything that is Christ, the kingdom. Yes. It is new creation in its completed final form. And that is what we will possess with Christ, right? That Christ is not ashamed to what? To call us brother, right? All right, so, um, and again, it's helpful for us to kind of get thinking, but yes, our confession of faith does, I think, helpfully get us thinking about what some of those benefits or applications are. Um, who'd be willing to read uh, our, our quote there from, from our confession, from um, chapter 12, uh, paragraph one, uh, from, from, from the second London? Uh, uh, Des? <clears throat> All those who are justified, God, in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the member and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put on them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the crown of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed the day of redemption, I love how it is so succinct and yet like um, so terse, so thick, right? You'd need a really strong knife to cut through it. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's dense, it's, it, but in a good way. All right, so any questions with how we are children of God and yet it's in a different sense from, from the Son of God? All right, let's go ahead and hop into question 33 then, right? So we're, we're working through Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, right? So now we're focusing on this idea of lordship. So who'd be willing to read question 33 and its answer? Stephanie? Why did Paul say 
Yes. And, and do, you, do you notice the scripture language here, right? Um, that, does it not remind you, right? Not with gold or silver. You think of 1 Peter, right? Um, and we're going to look at some of these texts. So when the New Testament uses the term Lord, one of the major aspects that it pulls from is the slave market, right? A Lord or master is one who buys a slave by paying a price. And what, what do we call that? That's called a ransom, right? So we're talking about redemption and ransom, right? The price that's paid in order for the slave to become his. This is the picture of redemption. We are purchased and secured by Christ through a ransom. And what is that ransom? The blood of his cross, right? By which we are freed from our previous master, right? Sin and Satan, in order that we might become, right? both Christ's slave and also Christ's brother as an adopted son, right? Where we have this, this both and. <clears throat> and so I've already warned you guys. I'm a table person. I try to break this down. So then we see this, right? So, okay, redeemer is the one who pays. Ransom is the payment. The slave is the one who's purchased or freed. And the master is the one who owns, right? And we see this idea in... Um, uh, 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 Romans chapter 14. So if we can, who'd be willing to read Romans 14 in verse 9? Romans 14, 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Okay. And then 1 Corinthians 6. Be willing to get 1 Corinthians 6. Up here. All right, you'll be able to get Ephesians 1. Anthony? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. All right, uh, 1 Timothy 2. Crystal? For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. All right, and then lastly, uh, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. George? Perfect. Right. And so, so we see this scriptural language, right, about our redemption, about ransom, about um, uh, blood, right? So there's this both and that through Christ's redemption, we have become free in Christ and yet also slaves to Christ. That in Romans 14, when Paul says that he is Lord, both of the dead and the living, right? There's this lordship aspect, right? That, that um, um, has the word in Romans 14, that, that to, to the one, he will stand, right? He, he will stand before his master. And, it, and it's not intended in this um, uh, 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 sense in which it is to, to scare Christians, right? But it isn't when it's talking about the liberties that we have in Christ and how a mature believer is to do things out of faith, not out of pressure from other people, not out of stumbling blocks. And the reason why is because he's going to stand before the one who bought him. 
and that's the one to whom allegiance is owed. So there's, and, and, and Paul even says this, right? Like in Romans 1, Romans 1, 1, Paul, um, a, a slave of Christ Jesus, right? Where he, where he starts out that way, right? So we have this one side, but then also this other aspect by which we are freed in Christ because we become adopted sons. So there's this both and tension, right? Jesus said in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you, right? So there's this both and, right? And, and, and notice this, right? In, in Galatians 3, um, did I include that on your notes? I did not. Okay, my apologies. I think I ran out of room. So I'll, I'll read it. Um, Galatians 3, actually, if you want, um, go ahead and turn there. Yeah, go ahead and turn there. Go because we're going to do both, both passages are in Galatians where, where um, the Apostle Paul is going to be focusing on freedom, right? Um, helping the believers in Galatia understand their freedom in Christ. <clears throat> so in Galatians 3, and then in verse 13 and 14, Scripture says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And then go one chapter over, go to Galatians chapter 4, and look in verse 5, right? Talking about how Christ, uh, uh, that like in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and then verse 5, the purpose clause, right? With what purpose? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, right, adoption as sons. So there's this sense in which with redemption and how we have been free from sin and Satan, but we've also been freed and enjoy the freedom that belongs to God's sons and daughters, to God's children, that we have the freedom that belongs to God's children, right? So there's this idea of freedom from our previous spiritual and oppressive master, sin and Satan, right? And when we think about this, right, this freedom from sin and being redeemed from sin's slave market, if you will, that we've been freed from sin's penalty, we've been freed from sin's power, and we have been freed from sin's pleasure, right? This is the work that Christ does in us through the Spirit after what he has done for us. And even this idea of freedom from Satan, right? Not only our personal sin, but then freedom from Satan, that we are no longer his where we just do his bidding, right? We're temptation and then sin, where we are captive to his schemes, right? As a Christian, with the power of the Spirit, we can say no to sin's temptation. And that's a part of our freedom of being the children of God. But then lastly, I want to I read this from Luke chapter 1 and verse 74 and 75. Uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, what, what he prayed, he said... 
that we being delivered, right, this, this aspect of redeem, deliver, from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before all our days. So brothers and sisters, we kind of come, come full circle as we think about God the Son, right, who he is for us. We think of Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. But we think of it in, in the sense in which what God the Son as mediator has accomplished on our behalf, that God the Son completed his mission, that he has purchased a people that the Father has given him, that he was fully equipped to fulfill that role as mediator, that he took on our nature, became the God-man, and fulfilled his role with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and that through our union with Christ, and His Spirit dwelling in us, we are assured and empowered as His people to now go fulfill and live out that reality that we already have in Him. All right. Uh, I think we've got like, um, uh, maybe a, um, actually, no, I'm sorry. Time's up. (laughs) That was kind of a letdown. My my, my bad. Um, All right. Well, Yeah, let's go ahead and let's take this to the Lord. We'll thank him and and then we'll close. Father, we do thank you so much for this time to gather. And truly, these truths are precious to us. Our redemption in Christ. How we are sons in the Son. How we have and partake in Christ's anointing and are um, filled with power from on high. Father, we pray that you would even strengthen us as your people and even renew in us again a warmth and a love for Christ through the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all dismissed.